Chapter 2 The Real Christ His Love for the Father Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. John chapter 14 verse 31 Our general subject in this chapter is the same as in the last. The real Christ, the Christ of God's own appointment and of actual historical fact, is distinguished from the Christ of man's dreams and fancies and imaginings. The Christ whose picture God himself has drawn in the Bible as distinguished from the Christ of Christian science, theosophy, Unitarianism, and other forms of fiction. In chapter 1, we looked at one special feature of the picture God has drawn, the holiness of Christ, Christ as the absolute and infinitely holy one. In this chapter, we will take another feature of the picture, the love of Jesus Christ for God the Father. In our second text, the Lord Jesus, the true and only Christ of God, tells us that the one thing he wished the world to know about him was that he loved the Father. Let me quote it to you again. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Usually when we speak of love, it is love for our fellow man, or humanitarianism as we love to call it, that we think of. Modern thought is so exclusively occupied with man that it scarcely enters our minds that God should be the supreme object of our love, and that our obligation to love God is immeasurably greater than our obligation to love our fellow man. Most people echo the sentiment of the gifted poet who really exalted the one who was a lover of his fellow man above the one who loved God. Our Lord Jesus loved his fellow man. He loved his fellow man as no other human being ever loved his fellow man. We shall consider that in the next chapter. But far deeper than his love for his fellow man, the very foundation of that love, and high above that love, was his love for God. The one thing above all others that he wished the world to know of him was that he loved God. He loved the Father. So it should be with us. It is indeed important that we love our fellow man. Love for our fellow man is the only solution to our social problems, industrial problems, political problems, and international problems. No external United Nations organization will ever set things straight. No external social adjustment of any kind will set things straight. No triumph of universal democracy will ever set things straight. Only love in the heart of the individual man for other men will give us the solution. If love ruled in the hearts of capitalists and laborers, in the hearts of Americans, Englishmen, Italians, Russians, Germans, Japanese, Chinese, and the rest, then all our social, industrial, and international problems would be settled in a few days. And they never will be really settled until love for our fellow man is triumphant in the individual heart. No philosopher and no millions of philosophers can bring in universal justice, equality, and peace while selfishness rules in the hearts of men. But as important as love for man is, love for God is more fundamental and immeasurably more important. God is infinite, and man is finite. 
One of the simplest truths of mathematics is that no number of finites ever equals infinity. The whole mass of the human race put together, all those now living on the earth, and all the billions who have lived in ages past, are as the small dust of the balance compared with the one infinite God. If we should render our full measure of love for the whole human race and fail to love the one infinite God as we ought, where we succeeded would be as nothing compared to where we failed. We shall see that it was because Jesus loved God the Father that he loved his fellow man, and we shall never love our fellow man in reality until we first love God. As John put it, we love because he first loved us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And by believing in that love, we get to love God, and so then love our fellow men. He also said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. It is the love of Jesus Christ for the Father that we will consider and meditate on in this chapter. How did Jesus' love for the Father manifest itself? In obedience. The love of our Lord Jesus for the Father first manifested itself when Jesus did what the Father commanded. This comes out in our text. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. John chapter 14, verse 31. The same thought is found in John chapter 15, verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Because Christ Jesus loved the Father with a true and not a pretended love, loved him indeed and in truth, and not merely in word and tongue, his ear was ever listening eagerly for the slightest or the hardest commandment of God. And the moment he heard it, he did it. So will everyone do who really loves God. Many of us talk about loving God, but our ears are not constantly listening for His word, and even when we are forced to hear it, we are slow to obey it. It was for the sole purpose, a glad and not reluctant purpose, of obeying God, of doing the Father's will, that Jesus turned His back on heaven's glory and came down to the shame and agony of earth. He said, for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John chapter 6, verse 38. His love for the Father did not make him hesitate to abandon the glory of heaven for the shame of earth, because that was the Father's will. We should stop here, ponder that, and lay our lives alongside his and see how they measure up to God's standard man, Jesus the Christ. Having come into this world in obedience to the Father's will, His loving obedience faltered not at death, even the death of the cross. As Paul said, And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 Jesus Christ's death was voluntary on His part. Some tell us today that it was an unavoidable incident of his fidelity to duty, but God tells us in his word that it was the purpose for which he came into this world and the goal toward which he deliberately walked. Jesus said, Therefore doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, 
that I may take it again. No one taketh it away from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. We read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 of his last journey to Jerusalem, where the cross awaited him. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. But it was not only on that last journey that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, but when he first took upon himself the nature of man, he also had steadfastly set his face to go to Calvary. The Jews, as they stood beside the tomb of Lazarus and saw Jesus weeping, said, Behold how he loved him. John chapter 11, verse 36. We stand beside the cross and behold Jesus bleeding, suffering, agonizing, and dying, and we cry, Behold how he loved him, God the Father. In keeping his Father's word. In the second place, The love of Jesus Christ for the Father manifested itself in His keeping and guarding His Father's word. We read this in His own words in John, And ye have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I should say, I know Him not, I shall be like unto you a liar. But I know Him, and keep His word. John chapter 8, verse 55. The word translated, keep, means to attend to carefully or to guard. To keep God's word means more than to obey His commandments. A man may obey commandments without hearty love for them, but we guard that which we regard as a precious treasure. So our Lord Jesus regarded the words of God. The Father's word was His most precious treasure. He guarded it as other men guard their gold and jewels. This esteem for His Father's word was a peculiar mark of His love for the Father. How many there are today who profess to love God but need to learn this lesson? They do not jealously guard and tenaciously hold fast to God's word. They are quite willing to give up any part of it when the first slick talker, who claims to be an interpreter of the most recent scholarship, says, It is not authentic and all scholars are agreed it must go. What is the fundamental difficulty with these men? A lack of a deep and genuine love for the Father, such as Christ Jesus had. If they had that love for the Father, they would keep God's word. They would hold on to God's word regardless of who was displeased. Note again these words of the real Christ. And ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be like unto you a liar but I know him and keep his word. In unwavering submission. In the third place, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father was manifested in unwavering submission to the Father's will, even when it might require that from which his soul shrank in heartbreaking anguish. This comes out in our Lord's words, And he went forward a little, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, My Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away, except I drink it, thy will be done. Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 and 42. 
No man who ever lived on this earth so recoiled from death as our Lord Jesus did, for no other man was as full of life as he was. He contemplated death with heartbreaking agony. In view of his coming death, his soul was exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. But though he thus recoiled from it, he faced it, and would face it gladly if it was the Father's will, and he knew that it was. Can we follow our Lord and Christ here? We must be ready to do so. For he has said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. In Positive Delight The love of Jesus Christ for the Father also manifested itself in positive delight in doing the Father's will. This is disclosed in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. The will of the Father, in which the Christ delighted in this case, as the context clearly shows, was his own sacrificial death on the cross. So we see Jesus was not only submissive to the Father's will when it required the cross, but that he also positively delighted in it, simply because it was the Father's will. Do you love God like that? Do you love him so that you positively delight in his will simply because it is his will, even though it means crucifixion for you? Here lies the secret of a blessedness and a joy that nothing can ever mar. Even in his boyhood, Jesus' delight was in the Father's will. This appears in Luke chapter 2, verses 48 through 49. His mother, who had sought him for three days, said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I sought thee sorrowing. He replied, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? The American Standard Version translates it as, Knew ye not that I must be in my father's house? The literal translation would be, Knew ye not that I must be in the things of my father? The meaning evidently is that even in his boyhood, Jesus realized that he must be occupied with the things of God, and that his delight was in the things of God, and in the will of God. During the entire course of his earthly life, doing his Father's will was his very meat and drink, his sustenance, his satisfaction, and his joy. We have a striking illustration of this in the fourth chapter of John. Jesus had come with his disciples to the well of Samaria at six o'clock in the evening. He was weary, thirsty, and hungry. His disciples had gone into Sychar to secure food for him. He was too tired to accompany them. As he sat there, tired and hungry, on the well, the woman of Samaria appeared, and Jesus Christ began to talk with her in order that he could give her the living water, that he might lead her to accept himself and thus receive the Holy Spirit. While he was deeply occupied in this work, the disciples returned and found him talking with the woman. The disciples said to him as they offered him food, Rabbi, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not. Then the disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to accomplish his work. John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34. 
He had forgotten his hunger and his weariness in the joy of doing the Father's will and accomplishing the Father's work. As we have said, doing his Father's will was his very meat and drink, his sustenance, his satisfaction, his joy. In Pleasing the Father Fifth, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father manifested itself in his always doing the things which were pleasing to the Father. Remember what he said, He that sent me is with me. He hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that are pleasing to him. John chapter 8 verse 29 Jesus, the Christ of God, so loved the Father that he made it his objective to find out what pleased the Father and always did it. That is far more than obedience to explicit commandments. A son may do whatever a father bids him, but a more loyal and loving son will not wait to be bidden, but will study to find out what is pleasing to his father and anticipate the expression of his will. To know what was pleasing to the father was Jesus Christ's constant concern. To do these things that were pleasing to the father was his unwavering practice. There is a lesson here we all need to learn, and not only learn but also keep in mind. Many of us think that if we do the things God specifically commands us to do and leave undone the things that God specifically commands us not to do, then we have done all that love for God requires of us. Oh, not at all. Love requires more than that. If we really have the love of God in our hearts, it requires us to make it our earnest and constant study to know what pleases God. It compels us. And when we know it, we will do it without waiting to be told. How it would simplify our lives and how many of our perplexing problems it would solve if we would only proceed on that principle. Shall I go to the theater? Shall I play cards? Shall I patronize the movies? Shall I smoke? Shall I do this, that, and the other thing? The answer to all these questions is found in asking yourself the question, Will it bring more joy to God for me to do these things than for me not to do them? If it brings joy to Him, I will do them. Or will it bring more joy to God for me not to do these things than for me to do them? If not doing them brings joy to Him, then if I really love God, I will not do them. Is that the principle upon which you act in everything? No. Then you do not love God. Learn from the Christ to love Him today, and from this time on, make it the principle of your life to find out what would please Him for you to do, and then do it every time. In Seeking the Father's Will In the sixth place, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father manifested itself in His seeking the Father's will. This we see in John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. The word translated seek in this verse means to seek in order to find. It is used in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 of a man seeking pearls. The thought is that the accomplishment of his Father's will was the one objective of Jesus Christ's pursuit. As other men hunt for jewels, gold, or pleasure, position, or honor, 
or the accomplishment of their own will, so our Lord Jesus sought for the accomplishment of His Father's will. What are you seeking? Money, pleasure, honor, position, or just the accomplishment of God's will? By accepting testimony and glory from the Father alone. The love of the real Christ, Christ Jesus for the Father, manifested itself in seeking and accepting testimony and glory only from the Father. This we learn in the Gospel of John when Jesus said, But the witness which I receive is not from man. Howbeit I say these things, that ye may be saved. I receive not glory from men. John chapter 5, verse 34 and verse 41. Jesus Christ so loved the Father, the Father was so utterly everything to Him, that He sought no praise and accepted no praise from man. It was the Father's testimony, the Father's approval, the Father's praise and those things alone that He desired and would accept. What a lesson for you and me! How eagerly and persistently we seek a little admiration and praise from men! How gladly we accept it when it comes! how we treasure the fine things that are said about us in newspapers or books. Let's stop it. Let us so utterly love God that His approval is all we care for and all we will accept. By Finishing the Father's Work In the eighth place, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father manifested itself in His finishing the work the Father gave Him to do. You will see this by reading John chapter 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus Christ loved the Father. Therefore, he had to bring to a completion the work the Father assigned to him. And when was that work completed? On the cross when he cried, It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. Then and not until then was the work completed. Jesus recoiled from the cross in unutterable agony, but onward to the cross he marched, because there and there alone the work the Father had given him to do could be accomplished and completed. It was love for God the Father, before love for you and me, that brought our Lord Jesus to Calvary. We speak of God the Father loving men in Christ Jesus, which is true. But it is also true that Christ's sacrifice for men finds its final reason and original source in obedience to the will of the Father, who was the object of His supreme love. Has God given you some work to do? He has, to each one of us. And does the completion of that work, the perfect consummation of it, lead to some Gethsemane or Calvary? very likely. Let's march then to our Calvary, never hesitating a moment, no matter how the heart recoils from the agony that awaits us there. In Seeking Only the Glory of the Father Finally, the love of Jesus Christ for the Father manifested itself in His seeking only the glory of the Father. This is revealed repeatedly in John. I have glorified Thee on the earth, John chapter 17, verse 4. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. John chapter 7, verse 18. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. John chapter 17, verse 1. The Father's glory was Jesus Christ's first and great ambition, the consuming passion of his life. It was for the Father's glory that he planned, prayed, lived, acted, suffered, and died. Jesus taught that the first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. His own life is the supreme manifestation of this law which he taught. Is God's glory the only thing you are seeking? Have you lost sight utterly of your own glory, your own profit, your own ease, your own pleasure, your own everything? That is what Jesus, the Christ of God, did. And he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6.